When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you news before it becomes news, as well as expert insight analysis on all the topics you're debating in football. I'm Ian McGarry and joining me as always is Duncan Castles. Uh, we have for you, of course, on Wednesday's podcast, your questions answered. Um, we will get to those questions very quickly. But as always, we'd like to bring you up to date with what's happening today as far as news developments. Duncan, uh, we mentioned the potential transfer of Moussa Dembele, Leon forward uh, from, to Manchester United uh, last week's uh, podcast. Can you tell us if there's any updates on that, please? Yes, I can tell you that there has been contact between Manchester United and uh, individuals close to Moussa Dembele um, to assess the player's interest in the move, to work out what the cost would be in terms of salary, and I, I think to get a, a feel for um, what it would take to get him out of um, Olympic Lyonnais. Um, as we told you previously, um, Dembele is a player that's been watched by Manchester United scouting department for many years, um, identified as a player who could be a top-level centre-forward um, down the line. He has history of playing in England with Fulham at a very young age, then going to Celtic um, and becoming the, the top striker at Celtic, 51 goals in 94 games, moved to Lyon at the start of last season and scored 26 in 56 games in total for Lyon, uh, wasn't first choice when he initially um, arrived at Lyon last season, but got himself into the team, was expected to be first choice this season, but um, their new coach, Silvino, uh, spent a part of his period at the club, which has now been terminated, uh, starting Memphis Depay, another man with Manchester United connections, as uh, number nine, because the player Depay wanted to be in that central position, which um, left Dembele on the bench for some matches. Despite that, um, in his eight uh, French uh, domestic appearances this season in the league, he scored six goals for a team that is struggling. Um, one of the reasons Salvino has been sacked is that uh, Lyon have not um, won in the league uh, since the uh, second week of the season. Um, they're uh, on a, basically a, a kind of run that um, Manchester United fans are sadly familiar with um, of uh, just one victory um, since that August fixture um, and that victory was in uh, the Champions League, uh, not in domestic competition. They're just a point off the bottom of the division, albeit several places above, because their goal difference is better than some of the other teams that are struggling. And um, I think this the, the, the change of management, which is going to happen at Lyon, is significant here, uh, because my uh, in 
information I'm getting from people close to Dembele is he was obviously unhappy with his uh, with his uh, position in the team under Salvino and uh, needed to get back in to play centre forward. That I'm told was something that the club's president Jean Michel Olas also wanted. In that um, something we told you about in the podcast. Uh, during last season was that uh, Lyon saw um, this campaign as the opportunity for Dembele to become their out-and-out first-choice striker, expected him to score heavily, expected his value to increase significantly during this season, um, expected him to break into the French national team, which would also add value in terms of a um, a potential transfer. Um, if he did so, you could see him playing in um, this summer's European um, Championship. Again, if you do well in the European Championship, um, that uh, could increase uh, potential sell-on value. And he was signed with the idea that they would make a substantial profit down the line on the player. That's the way Leon operate, um, as do many French clubs. Uh, Olas is a very canny um, individual in the transfer market with a history of um, buying well and selling well and uh, improving his club's finances that way. Now Salvino is gone, the new manager coming in and um, the discussion around the club is that uh, individuals like Arsene Wenger and Laurent Blanc are uh, very strong candidates from the club's perspective to come in. Why? Because Olas um, doesn't want to experiment anymore. He, need, he feels he needs to uh, a tried and trusted um, coach who can deliver results for the rest of the season, uh, make the most out of their Champions League campaign that they have and get them at the right end of the table and, and, and hopefully qualify for Champions League again next season. Um, Therefore, if the new manager comes in, plays Dembele, Dembele scores again, the price starts to go up again. And the, the figures that are mentioned to me, um, 60 million euros at present, kind of an asking price um, with uh, bonuses involved. Uh, Olas, I believe, sees Dembele's value potentially increasing to 80 million if, uh, if he gets the season he expected to get out of him. Um, with the change in management. On the other hand, uh, were he to remain um, on the sidelines, uh, people uh, who, are assess who are paid to assess the transfer market believe that the, the price could drop to 40 million euros um, in certain circumstances. Um, what I can certainly say is that the interest from Dembele's side in moving to the Premier League is large. Um, he sees that as a place he will play in uh, further down his career. Um, he has had the opportunity to move to the Premier League before. Again, a, a story we broke on the transfer window at the time was that Brighton and Hove Albion tried to sign him from Celtic. And in fact, Brendan Rodgers very much pushed um, Dembele um, to take that, that move um, to Brighton. Um, because the club wanted to cash in at that point on uh, on Dembele. They needed money in the transfer market. Dembele turned it down um, because uh, he felt it was the wrong time to go to uh, a club like Brighton and also felt that it wasn't the correct platform for him to start um, his Premier League career. Um, I believe, however, where Manchester United to 
select Dembele from uh, the three principal candidates that um, Ian Yu told us about um, uh, as targets for the January window, then he would be receptive to that move um, and I believe would take the risk of moving in the January window um, to Manchester United and the risks involved with going mid-season, um, having that adaptation process accelerated with no pre-season to, to get to know your players. Um, he'd be prepared to do it for a club like United. So there's an opportunity there should um, Willie Gunnar Solskjaer, if he's still in charge in January, um, Edward Wood uh, and Matt Judge, who is the, the man tasked still with doing the negotiations with, with clubs, um, decide to pursue that line as they're an area which you know the club has now publicly stated that they, they need to reinforce it in January. So it is a priority position for them. I think desperate is probably the word, Duncan, with regards to Manchester United and acquiring goals, given the uh, start of the season they've had, the uh, goal-scoring record that they've had, the disappointment in terms of the um, return from Marcus Rashford, who's been playing as their central striker for the last three, four games, and obviously the injury to Anthony Martial, which has um, debilitated their attack as well. Um, however, it's January is always a risky time in terms of recruiting, in terms of the price you pay. I think we're already seen at Manchester United believe that they were stung badly in the Alexis Sanchez transfer. Uh, do we think that Leon stroke Dumbelli would be open to this move in January and would it necessarily have the positive effect United need? Leon preference to sell for as high amount as possible. That's the strategy from all us. Um, therefore, you go for him in January and uh, and you pay big money. But if you go to go for him as Manchester United, you pay big money full stop. And, and it, you know, this kind of again emphasises where United are making mistakes in the transfer market. So their line has been, um, we didn't buy a centre forward even though we needed, knew we needed one in the summer because we'd elected to sell Romelu Lukaku and allowed Alexis Sanchez to leave um, on a loan deal which Manchester United subsidised a, a good chunk of the salary for. We didn't do it because the long-term replacements on our um, carefully designed new plan, Brexit FC plan of, of, of signing uh, uh, young British players weren't available to us. Now, again, all sounds fine until you get a couple of months into the season. Um, you have only scored more than one goal once this season um, against Kamikaze Chelsea defending. You are um, had both of your more experienced strikers injured um, with muscular injuries, courtesy of their high-intensity training regime that the managers introduced. Um, the backup is an 18-year-old who already seems to be seeing the pressure of having having to be put into into match situations, which are very difficult and would be challenging for any young player. They've just played Newcastle and Alkmaar and had a total, a grand total of three shots and targets in those two matches. So that 
considered strategy and that strategy which you can sell as being an intelligent thing and, and long term actually results in the kind of problems we're seeing now and then you rush back into the market in January and end up spending lots of money uh, if you need to, to solve it and yeah, I think we should mention here your, um, your, your good friend uh, Super Size Sam uh, who uh, who seems to be firing up his uh, for Granada in the Talk Sports studios and and gently reminding Ed Woodward that um, things are so bad at Manchester United that relegation isn't an impossibility for them and, and and who do you turn to when you worry about relegation in the Premier League? I'd like to think of a kind of you know again the listeners will be aware that I'm you know someone who pictures things which other people don't want to picture. And this one is me picturing supersized Sam in his Granada wearing a Superman outfit, complete with pants over tights and everything, and like, you know, driving into Old Trafford and rescuing them from relegation. So, um, in- interesting you mention a Superman outfit because I believe that Ed Woodward has been pictured in a Superman outfit in his time as uh, executive vice chairman of, of Manchester United. Well, let's dig that one out for the graphic then. Uh, <laughs> to be said. <laughs> Let's move on to um, our Q&A. Uh, your questions answered, people. And um, MUFC Dude, managed by 77, is his Twitter handle, has um, uh, referred to, I think, which was a, a gentle invitation to uh, Gary Neville, who, as you all know, um, took issue with Duncan on Monday. We invited him to come on the podcast today. We didn't get a reply, which is fine. We understand that Gary's a very busy man therefore doesn't necessarily have the time to come on the podcast on Wednesday. Maybe he'll turn up on Friday. That'd be great if he did. Um, but um, MUFC dude says, why are Gary Neville and Rio Ferdinand afraid to call the Glazers? The Glazers? It's a fair question because a lot of fans are asking that. Duncan, what do you think? Well, it'd, it'd be nice if we could put the question um, on the podcast to um, Gary Neville and, and Rio Ferdinand themselves. So let's just repeat that invitation anytime um, they'd like to come on and have a discussion about Manchester United and Uli Gunnar Solskjaer and, uh, and the travails of the club would be um, honoured and delighted to uh, to have that opportunity to speak to them. I think it is, I, mean, I, I think the listener here makes a, a very... Um, coherent point in that you know we I've talked many times in this podcast about the reluctance of um, Neville, uh, Paul Scholes, Rio Ferdinand to make even the most basic of criticism of Solskjaer as a coach. Still haven't heard anything on the fundamentals of the game um, critical about Solskjaer, i.e., team selections, uh, injury record, um, tactics substitutions, changes in a match, um, decisions on on recruitment. Um, you know, he is the, the precious one, as uh, as we've labelled it on the podcast. Um, but, and it, it is certainly the case that um, Gary Neville has been very trenchant and I think accurate in his criticism of Ed Woodward um, and uh, the part he has played in constructing a squad which is clearly unfit for purpose during his, um, his multiple years as uh, executive vice chairman of the club. But um, it, it's, I think it, it's also correct, and, and, I, and I'm quite happy to be corrected on this if, if I'm 
being factually inaccurate, that you don't hear criticism of the Glazers from either of those two um, very well placed individuals in the in the um, English media. And you know, it's clear that the, the problems of the club are, as I've said many times, from top to bottom. That they begin with an ownership that is focused. Um, fundamentally on making money from the club who have taken over a billion pounds out of the club during um, the almost 15 years they've been in charge of it who would sell for a profit um, a huge and substantial profit were the right um, invitation to come to them to to sell um, and and fundamentally are in, are responsible for having Ed Woodward who is a subject to criticism um, from Gary Neville as their executive vice chairman. So you'd think that would be the criticism would be extended onto his employers to say, why haven't you done anything to change this? Um, and obviously there are, they are, there are the issues with the squad and currently there is a huge issue with the manager. Um, there's issues with the recruitment department. You could say there's, um, there's problems with the academy setup, which United have done um, quite a lot to improve recently and, and hopefully they will see um, improvements from. But the yeah, I, I think the listener makes a fair point um, that uh, that one very obvious target for um, rational and, and easy to substantiate criticism seems to be missing from, from the commentary um, there. Is it possible that... Um ex-manager players, especially legends, let's just call them that, might or would like to expect the possibility of an invitation to work for the club, even though Gary Neville has said on the record that he would run 100 miles if he's offered a job at Manchester United. Again, by the Glazers. Um, so is Rio Ferdinand's position again, in not criticising the Glazers, is that possibly one of the reasons why he is failing to criticise them? It could be. I, I mean, I think, again, it's a question that can only really be answered um, by the people who are not making the criticism. Um, obviously, if you've been a player for a club and both of these individuals have been players for the Glazers during uh, eras of great controversy about the Glazers, then, you know, you can't, while you're an employee, um, it's very, very hard to be critical of your employer. Um, you know, we've all experienced that uh, working in newspapers. Um, there, are, there are times when you have to bite your tongue um, on, on certain matters, and that's entirely understandable. I mean, I can only... There is the famous picture of Patrice Evra um, when he was... Uh, when the green and gold... Um, Protests were in full flow, um, wearing one of the green and gold scarves, um, which became, I think, quite iconic. Um, but you struggle um, to find uh, other examples of, of Manchester United players um, who are still employed by the club or, or still close to the club criticising the Glazers. And um, obviously... Where you to, where you to think that there's a possibility of a job was if there's an interest in being employed by the club again, then not being critical 
is a rational approach. I think that's fair enough. I think I think we all understand that uh, in terms of um, people responding uh, pragmatically, Duncan, to certain things. Um, I'm going to go through a couple of quick ones with you, if that's all right with you. Um, we've got one from Barfer at Barfer two double eight seven two eight five. I'm not sure it's his phone number. And <laughs> how bad do you want Ole sacked to vindicate your man Josie? Says Balfour. Um, I, I don't want um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sacked um, for any reason at all. Um, I think job is to talk about the problems at the club, uh, things that are good at the club as well, explain what's going on behind the scenes. And um, and and I think something I hope our listeners feel the podcast as well, which is alert our listeners to where things are likely to head. And I, and I think we have, uh, you know, we were very early in identifying the problems with Solskjaer as manager. And, um, and those uh, problems we identified have, have panned out. Um, so it's not about wanting someone to be sacked, but if you ask me whether I think he should be sacked, yes, I do, because he's clearly out of his depth, and um, the results the results are appalling, historically bad, and um, the the performances aren't good, but also the the, the way in which he's managing the club um, is not up to the requirements of, of running Manchester United. As for a, a vindication of uh, Mourinho, I think much of what he said about the club has already been vindicated. So whether Solskjaer is dismissed or not is actually irrelevant um, to that. We've seen that his commentary on the problems of the club has has been manifested in the, in the results and... Um, and what is happening at the club now? So, uh, so yeah, the vindication thing's a bit of an odd one, really, because I think um, any, again, any any sort of rational judge looking at it would say, actually, when he talked about um, second place with Manchester United being one of the the greatest achievements of of his career, when you look at Manchester United now, um, what is it? Just uh, it's just about fifteen months since that um, second place was achieved in 12th place in the Premier League. Um, not very far off the relegation zone with um, with the, the supersized Granada driver reminding Ed Woodward that, uh, that it's not impossible for Manchester United to be relegated. You'd have to say that, um, that his commentary at that time seems to have been accurate. I think we have to um, compare and contrast just quite briefly before we move on to Liverpool, um, the situation um, which has arisen at AC Milan today, Duncan, um, where uh, Marco Giampolo has been sacked after 111 days, having lost three of his first seven matches in, seven, uh, in, in Serie A. And look at the comparative record of Solskjaer, who's lost two... Uh, in eight, but drawn three uh, as well. Um, <laughs> people are keep saying that Manchester United will back Solskjaer because of his playing history at the club and everything else. But is it the case that you just have to be brutal sometimes, as AC Milan apparently have been, and said, no, I'm sorry, this is just not good enough? 
Well, it's it's two wins in thirteen Premier League games for Solskjaer, um, which is worse. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't see that AC Milan being a particularly good comparison here for because they are they are another um, major club in football which is in a, a very disorganised state um, and have um, lots of problems and have had problems for some time now and uh, and the trajectory of travel has been has been poor um however you you know your fundamental point that there, there comes a stage where you have to make a decision um to change coach because bringing a different coach in will extract better results from the playing resources you have albeit if you your squad is um is not what it wants to be and is a difficult one to work with if you can improve performances by changing the coach, then um, that's the, the sensible route to go down. So from the uh, not so good to the perfect, we've got a question from Tom Sharman um, who asks, and it's a very good question as it, as it stands because obviously Liverpool are eight points clear at the top of the Premier League. And he says, what year has Klopp got it right so far at Liverpool? I think he's got a lot of things right. I think um, I think one of the most important things is learning on the job. Um, I think uh, when he first came to Liverpool, there was a pattern of muscular injuries um, which has parallels with what has happened with Solskjaer when he took over at Manchester United. Um, I know people who worked at the club at the time and um, I think it's almost record numbers of hamstring injuries produced by Klopp um, intensifying training during the season and uh, and demanding that the players run far greater distances um, during each game. And, um, and, the, and the, the fallout from that were... Um, so many injuries that the the, the team lost the, the ability to compete at its full level. Um, he also had issues in the subsequent season with um, with the team tiring in uh, the December January period, um, I, and there were various elements to that. Things like he liked to have the players train um, late afternoon um, to. to to, to train at a similar time as they were going to be playing matches. Um, that can work, however, if you are based in um, the northwest of England and uh, have limited the daylight hours. Um, in that winter period, what you end up doing is having the, the players train um, in the dark. Um, and um, there were repercussions of that of players sleeping in late because they didn't have to be into the the, cl- the club in the morning and various issues around it, which which people knowledgeable of the situation felt affected performance. Um, but he's changed that. He he has has altered um, physical training methods. He's all he's um, introduced a lot of rotation. Uh, particularly for last season, not so much this season, but for last season, to overcome the issues he had with um, not having a January break. Remember, he, his entire career had been in Germany, where you could kind of have two sort of sprints, is the way it's described. So you have you you have an intense training regime pre-season, um, 
uh, entering into the season, you work the players hard, you give them a little break um, through winter, and then you work them hard again through the rest of the season. You, you can't do that in England. So he learned about that. Um, I think he's he's broadened um, the way the team play. I think a, a big, big element in their current success and last season's success is a focus on set-piece play. So Liverpool score a lot of goals from, from set-pieces um, in the op opponent's box, um, which has allowed them to win games they were drawing and draw games that they, they were losing previously. Um, I think another big thing for Liverpool, which goes beyond Klopp, is that they have... Um, They've chosen their coach, they've invested in their coach, and they have then said, right, what are the best players for Jurgen Klopp's style of play? Um, we are, he plays a high-intensity game, he wants to be able to press opponents, he wants his players to be able to run, he wants resilient players. Therefore, we go into the transfer market, uh, and when we're looking for a, um, a new midfielder or a new striker, um, we need players who are capable of covering lots of distance in a game, who are very quick across the ground, who um, uh, historically have been less susceptible to injury. So when they draw up their recruitment list and they use um, analytics um, as a big part of this, they, they, they're working from a limited set of individuals who they know that um, are more likely to fit into to clock system. Then they've also been clever in the recruitment and the, you know, they, they look at these lists and then they pick off the clubs where they can get players from. So it's no, it's no coincidence that they've taken um, Mo Salah and Alison Becker both from Roma, um, both for substantial transfer fees, both with big upgrades in their salary. Because if they know if they go to a club like Roma, who have uh, financial issues, and offer enough money, they'll be able to buy the player. Um, and they target other clubs around Europe in the same um, kind of pocket of uh, having quality players who um, who want to take the step up, who'd be interested in moving and, and playing for one of the top clubs in the Premier League. Like the, like the entire Southampton squad, is that, is it, that you're referring to? Southampton, yeah. <laughs> it's another good example. It's the same story. You can take players from Southampton. Uh, if you offer them enough money, uh, and again in, in that case they're they're already ready made for the Premier League, so they a lot of this is just working on the stuff that is within a club's control um, and within a manager's control to change, um, and then gradually improving, um, making the right decisions in the transfer market because you've got a, a coherent strategy uh, which is built around. The, the tactical approach of the coach. Um, and then you get better than everyone else in the Premier League, which, let's face it, hasn't been that hard. To get into second place in the Premier League hasn't been that hard because Arsenal have been a mess. Chelsea um, have been a yo-yo team and, and now are trying to back off um, investment and we'll see if this approach of, of, uh, of pushing the academy players through um, works for them. Longer term, Manchester United um, self-destructive. So, and then Tottenham, you know, never should never have been in a position where they were the second best squad in the Premier League anyway because of the investment uh, level they were working on, which is far far lower than Liverpool's. Remember, Liverpool are now in the top 
substantially in, into the top five in, in Europe in terms of uh, wages and uh, the spend, the gross spend involved in building their squad. And, and that's the measurement you should use for assessing quality of squad, squad in terms of resources put into it. It's how much uh, the, the, the squad has cost to build in terms of players on the field. Because if you spent a lot on average on each player in the field, that means you should have better quality players than their opponents. So they kind of got to where they should be. And now they have this opportunity um, to win the Premier League. Um, because Manchester City are um, have been hit by injuries um, and uh, and backed away from some of the recruitment that they would normally have done because of their financial fair play concerns and and um, now it's the case that it's Jurgen Klopp's title to lose um, as the uh, transfer market will be trademarking and um, maybe, maybe um, FSG would like to to buy the trademark. It's Liverpool's title to lose since they failed to buy the uh, to trademark the, the name of the city recently. Very cheeky, Duncan. Very cheeky. Um, nice t-shirts, no? Nice, no, no. I agree. I agree absolutely. And Stars. Um, you know, we should, we should, and we should do it with um, TWP trademark. Start to lose. Absolutely. I'll happily have my face on someone's chest in Anfield <laughs> saying it's my title to lose. Uh, yeah. Anyone who's interested in that particular T-shirt, please get in touch. Uh, we'll charge you only, I don't know, what's going right these days, 90 quid for a uh, football top. Is <laughs> that picture of you and Jimmy Milner together at the maternity ward that we're having on the T-shirt? Let's move on from... Uh, the EPL to one of our old favourites, Duncan, Antoine Scaredy Cat, who finally made his big move to Barcelona, as we all know, in the summer. And uh, we've got a good question here from King, who is at True Nina, um, who asks the early days at camp now are not looking good for said Scaredy Cat. Uh, after playing out position during Messi's absence and now getting benched by a player who offers more on the left wing than him, uh, what is the way forward for Griezmann and will he end up like Coutinho? Well, I think that's quite an interesting question, actually, because as we know, Felipe Coutinho was um, transferred to Barcelona from Liverpool at a great expense, but also a great expectation uh, in terms of the way that he would fit into play. Uh, it didn't work out. Griezmann as well. Um, I think Duncan maybe one of the problems here is the four-three-three formation, and Griezmann doesn't really fit into that, and that's probably what um, the listeners are alluding to with regards to his lack of performance and excellence compared to the position he played at Atletico Madrid. Well, I think first of all, it's very early days, um, and you often see this with transfers. I think you often see it with big money transfers that the initial period of adaptation into into a new club, a new system is difficult. And I think it's particularly difficult for big money transfers because someone like Griezmann has come from a position where he was the focus of the Atletico team. The the, the Atletico's um, attack um, was structured around getting goals from Griezmann. Um, and that's never going to be the case moving to Barcelona. Um, Barcelona's attack is always going to be structured around Lionel Messi. Therefore, um, you don't have the same degree of importance in the team and you have to learn um, 
to play a different way. Um, and, and Atletico played very different kind of football to Barcelona. It has to be said that you know they're, they're pretty much chalk and cheese in terms of uh, strategic setup and the, the way that the, the team works as a unit. So so that makes it more complicated um, too. And you know if, if you remember when Luis Suarez moved from Liverpool to Barcelona, he made it succeed because he was prepared to play in a different fashion and prepared to take account of the fact that he wasn't the, 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 the top star anymore. There is an additional factor here, which is that a lot of the Barcelona players didn't want Griezmann at the club. Um, they weren't happy with the, the way he uh, announced his decision not to move to Barcelona a year ago um, on a TV programme. Um, that was specifically set up for this this grand um, reality TV style announcement of his of decision over his future, and and they felt, I'm told, uh, betrayed by Griezmann because a number of them had gone out of their way to 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 convince him to move to Barcelona, and then um, were snubbed in a fashion which, again, I understand it had not been communicated to them privately in advance. Um, we've talked in the podcast about how important Lionel Messi is at Barcelona and how important the players in general are at Barcelona. Um, we, we told you months ago that um, Lionel Messi and co were petitioning Barcelona to sign Neymar in the summer and uh, and and put, it, put a lot of effort into that. Um, and there was upset that the, the, that deal didn't go through. So it's there are, as I say, there, there are always problems shifting to a new club. Um, there are problems when, when, when you have the attention of being such an expensive purchase on such high wages. And I think Barcelona is a particularly difficult club to integrate into. Um, question, I, I guess, for Griezmann is, can he change his ways? Um, does he, how psychologically resilient is he to force his way back into the team? this season and make himself a, a player who's indispensable to them in the attack. And also what happens with Suarez. So um, obviously the, the purchase of Griezmann was with the with the idea that Suarez um, and his time at Barcelona might be coming to an end and you, you get the successor into the squad early so you're prepared when that happens. So um, Perhaps he can get himself into the position to do exactly that. Alternatively, if Suarez has a um, a strong season, and you know, I I had the pleasure of interviewing Luis, Luis Suarez before he became a, a a huge name in Europe, before he, he moved to Liverpool, and the thing that most was most impressive about him is is how utterly focused he is on succeeding in the field. And you know, it's no surprise to have watched his career and, and the you know the good things and the bad things he's done um, to see that intensity in the in the way he plays and the way he carries himself. And so, what I would say is that anyone betting on Suarez finishing his career early um, would uh, be advised not to put too much money on on that particular gamble. Good words there from the non McBookie. Um, we're gonna quickly have one more question Duncan before we head to the let's just say um, well infallibly best 
part of the week, which is the Donkey Awards. Um, <laughs> and that is from Dan, who's got an even more bizarre um, Twitter handle than me. That is <laughs> at A-L-T-G-H-R. Dan, thank you for that. Um, and we're going to ask Duncan the question that you've asked, uh, which is, who's the best Fred? Fred Astaire? Fred II of Prussia, my personal favourite. Uh, Fred Elliott, or the Fred who sometimes runs around the tracks as United, occasionally goes to the pitch and half-time goes for photos with the kids. Duncan, <laughs> your thoughts? Um, I think for the first time ever on the transfer window, I am going to have no comment on that subject. I'll leave it no to you, No comment? Ian. Well, not even Fred II of Prussia, a man <laughs> who was famous for revolutionising the constitution of that country and making them become a world power. Unbelievable, Duncan. It really is. Very disappointing. Uh, so therefore, we will leave that where it is. Uh, if you want to obviously uh, tweet us and give us your own opinions on Fred II of Prussia or indeed Fred Astaire, then you know where to find us. That's at Transfer Podcast. At Duncan Castles, who I recommend you go to on his um Omerta answer on that question or myself <laughs> at Garbo SJ uh, we will move on to the legendary um, Dunkey Awards for this week and I'm delighted to say, delighted delighted that we've managed to find um, a Dunkey that truly, truly matches the uh, stellar notion of a gold statue because it is the Rebecca Vardy Award for getting found out for betraying your busy mate. Of course, the background to this is that Colleen Rooney today um, outed Rebecca Vardy, the wife of the lesser striker, as being the person who betrayed her with regards to stories about personal life and then fed them to a very popular national newspaper. Um, so uh, we have decided that there is a, an, a Rebecca Vardy Award, which, you know, we cannot um, in any way ignore. Uh, and I'm going to give you the usual, Duncan, three uh, candidates who could be the recipient of this. Oh, can, can, can you hear that rustling? It's not just a golden envelope. We've got bubbles as well. Oh, and there's a tear. Duncan. We have Dave Fallows and Julian Ward, who were the scouts who moved from Manchester City to Liverpool. And it is alleged that a hack of the uh, Manchester City scouting network was uh, then paid off by Liverpool Football Club uh, for a million pounds. So therefore, uh, it was a case of uh, getting found out for uh, betraying one of your best mates. Um, the second one, possibly my favourite, this one is, um, when Claudio Ranieri uh, won the most ridiculous and unsuspected and fabulous Premier League title in the history of football in the last 30 years uh, at Leicester City. In the following season, his... Um, Number two, Craig Shakespeare, uh, is alleged to have knifed him in the back in a way that Macbeth would have been proud. Uh, and therefore, seeing him lose his job, 
again, uh, someone who has found out for betraying his best mate. And thirdly, and an old friend of ours, of course, is John Terry for the alleged affair with his best mate, Wayne Bridges' fiance at the time, um, and uh, which led to the, uh, well, Wayne, I think, was left at Chelsea to go to Manchester City, but at the same time, um, it's caused a schism in the Chelsea squad of that era. Uh, Duncan, I'm, you know, I'm not going to sway you in any way here because I think we've got three very good uh, candidates. But who would be the winner of the Dunkey Award, uh, sponsored by Re Rebecca Vardy, for um, being found out for betraying one of your best mates? Well, um, the industrial espionage at uh, Liverpool and Manchester City is quite an amusing tale. Um, uh, not an uncommon uh, event in football for um, scouts to uh, be taking uh, information or trying to gather information from other clubs. Um, I'm just intrigued to know whether uh, whether Manchester City employed a, a, a particular Portuguese hacker to do the uh, the check on on how their um, computer systems had been infiltrated by Liverpool in this case. Um, That's another story, obviously, but we'll go into it at a different time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Craig Shakespeare, yes, um, one of the one of the big big betrayals in in football management, and uh, one that I don't think did Leicester City um, any favours, um, and uh, his career hasn't exactly accelerated on from that point. Whereas Claudio will always be remembered as the as the man who fronted that most memorable of Premier League titles. But I think uh, there's a clear winner here, um, and that will be um, John Terry. I was actually at the match um, when Manchester City uh, met uh, Chelsea at Stamford Bridge um, shortly after that story uh, became very public, and uh, and Wayne Bridge uh, very pointedly pointedly refused to shake Terry's hand as um, as they walk past uh, each other at the start of the game. And it, it cannot be underlined how close those two were um, when they were both playing for Chelsea. Um, very, very close friends. Um, I think lived just... I think they lived in the same street, is that right, Ian? That's correct, yeah, they did. And also their respective children went to nursery together as well. Yes, and uh, and it, and it wasn't just uh, the schism in the Chelsea uh, camp that you mentioned. It was also, of course, the schism in the England camp because they were both full of England internationals in the same squad at the same time. So, a clear winner. Um, the award goes to Mr. John Terry. I could be wrong, but um, Kaiser Duck will definitely advise on this, Duncan. That might be a hat trick of awards for John Terry. And if it is, that would be a donkey awards record. So uh, maybe we have to give him a different donkey. Um, a golden, so what do you think? A platinum a one? or a, How about a golden chimp pad? <laughs> Perfect. Let's just send him that, shall we? <laughs> oh, as always, Mr. Castles has nailed it. Thank you for joining us on this um, Your Questions Answered podcast. As always, please 
can you continue the debate that you have been listening to on the podcast with us at Transfer Podcast at Duncan Castles at Garbo SJ and as always we say please also give us a um, iTunes five star rating to um, encourage the community to enlarge and that way we can all get on even more uh, comically and better than we even have today um, we will be back with you on Friday uh, until then we will see you through the transfer window Thank you for listening.